Hello and welcome to the Stem Cell Report. I'm Martin Perra, the Editor-in-Chief of Stem Cell Reports, the open access journal of the International Society for Stem Cell Research. In this monthly podcast, we look at highlights from the latest advances in stem cell research appearing in the journal. We'll be speaking to authors to explore the questions that led to new breakthroughs and learn how they've tackled those questions. We'll hear about the background to novel findings, the challenges ahead, and we'll get to know a little bit about the personalities behind the work. Thanks for joining in. The Peewee family of genes may have a diminutive sounding name, but they have a large role in the function of the germline and germline stem cells. Initially discovered in Drosophila, these highly conserved RNA binding proteins have well-established roles in the regulation of spermatogenesis and germ stem cell maintenance, in addition to silencing transposable elements. However, peewee functions outside of the germline are relatively unexplored. New findings from the Lynn Laboratory show that Drosophila peewee has a role in intestinal homeostasis, where it functions to establish intestinal stem cells, maintain the enteroblast lineage, and support the enterocytes. It also has a role in silencing retrotransposons in the gut. Collectively, these intestinal roles of peewee are critical to organismal longevity as the loss of peewee leads to a short lifespan in the fly. To talk about this novel role for peewee and more, I'm joined today by Drs. Haifan Lin and Zhongzhou Tang. Dr. Lin is the Eugene Higgins Professor of Cell Biology and the founding director of the Stem Cell Center at Yale University. Amongst his many achievements, Haifan is a member of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences, a member of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, and a foreign member of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. He is also currently president of the ISSCR. Zhongzhou Tang was a postdoctoral fellow in the Lin Laboratory. He is now a professor in the Animal and Nutritional Genome and Germplasm Innovation Research Center in the College of Animal Science and Technology at the Hunan Agricultural University in Hunan, China. Drs. Lin and Tang are authors of the recent paper published in Stem Cell Reports entitled Kiwi maintains homeostasis in the Drosophila adult intestine. Welcome to you both guys and thanks for being here. Martin, thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm very glad to join this podcast. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for your invitation. It's my pleasure to be here today to discuss our work. Terrific. I'm looking forward to a conversation and I'll start off with Haifan. And Haifan, I've, I've read through some of your many impressive honors and recognitions that you've achieved over a career filled with scientific and professional success. Uh, but I, I think I'm curious, and probably our listeners would, would want to learn more about the start of your scientific journey. What were some of your early interests, your mentors, and, and what led to your interest in stem cell research? Well, thank you, Martin. Uh, thank you for your kind comments. I actually grew up on an idyllic island off the coast of the mainland China. My life was kind of like the sea people in Avatar 2, if you have seen the movie, but short of special effects. So I became interested in biology, not because I was surrounded by the fascinating sea creatures, but instead it was by a new term at that time called genetic engineering that just appeared in newspapers when I was a high school student. So to me, you know, 
I thought that it might be very cool to learn an engineering that can even change the traits of living organisms. So I became a biochemistry major at Fudan University in Shanghai, which at that time had the best geneticists in China. And at Fudan, I was lucky to have had amazing professors who all received their PhD training from leading US labs, including Professor C.C. Tan, who himself was actually a foreign member of the US National Academy of Sciences. So my four years of study at Fudan truly laid a very solid foundation for me to pursue molecular genetics. And after I graduated from Fudan, I went to Cornell for my PhD work in the field of genetics and development. And in the lab of Mariana Waffner, uh, who was then a uh, assistant professor and a rising star in the developmental genetics field, I worked on how cell division was initiated in a fertilized Drosophila egg. And this work on cell division with an important developmental function was an extremely rewarding experience. So for my postdoctoral training, I wanted to study another type of cell division that also has important developmental function. And it is for this reason, stem cells naturally came to my mind. And I was very fortunate that uh, Alan Spradling, uh, a leader in developmental genetics, accepted me to his lab. It was in Alan's lab I started to work on stem cells using germline stem cells in the Josafra ovary as a model, which allowed me to apply the awesome power of Josafra genetics to stem cell research and to discover key genes involved in stem cell division, including the PV genes that has been the focus of uh, this uh, stem cell reports paper. Sounds like you had some great mentors, I found. Thank you. Yeah. Interesting. You started off as biochemist. You became a biologist. Right. So, Zhongzhu, you're just beginning your career, but tell us about what led to your interest in science. Uh, you know, your graduate training and and how you wound up in Haifan's lab. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Martin, for these questions. Well, I would say that my research interest in life science really starts from 2012 November when I came to Sweden for my PhD study in molecular biology. At that time, I went to Professor Eva Engstrom's lab at the Stockholm University, where I started to investigate the function of one conserved power octotranscription factor protein, NABIN, in regulating Drosophila innate immunity. Actually, we have uh, characterized two protein isoforms of this particular protein, and find these two S-forms regulate intestinal immune homeostasis and intestinal stem cell proliferation and differentiation in an antagonistic manner. So it's exciting for us to really show that the same transcription factor exerts its opposite function in controlling Drosophila innate immunity and stem cell homeostasis by using S-form specific regulatory mechanisms. Before my graduation, I attended the 59th annual Drosophila Research Conference in Philadelphia in 2018. That was the first time I met Haifan, and I invited him to my poster to present my work. Fortunately, Haifan was about to recruit postdocs 
to do some Drosophila work. And he asked me to send him three recommendation letters and was looking forward to having an interview soon. So after my graduation and a short visit trip to Yale, I came to have fun's lab in 2019, April, as a postdoc associate to study somatic PV function in the Drosophila gut. Honestly, it was not easy to start with this project because PV was generally sort of to be weakly expressed or no expression in somatic tissues and normal physiological conditions. At the beginning, I tried many times and utilized different approaches to confirm PV protein expression in the Drosophila gut. Then by combining macron-clone analysis and cell-specific RNA experiments, we found that intestinal PV contributes to the maintenance of normal intestinal stem cell lineage and a rich transposon sinusin, which in turn may regulate adult longevity. With that, we decided to report our interesting findings to highlight somatic PV function in the Drosophila gut. So last April, it was a hard decision for me to finish my three years of postdoc training in high-fans life due to the pandemic and family issues. Then I came back to China to start my new research career until now. So that's that's a good lesson for all the students and postdocs to take advantage of poster sessions because you never know who you might meet, I guess. Uh, yes, yeah. That's a good comment. <laughs> I find your lab studies the molecular mechanisms underlying self-renewal with a focus on germline stem cells. And, and these stem cells, particularly those in the fly, may not be as well known to our audience as other stem cell populations. So maybe you tell us a bit about them their function, their key features, and, you know, in particular, what the study of the Drosophila germline cells told us about the importance of the niche in stem cell regulation more broadly. Martin, these are really good questions. Germline stem cells actually reside only in the gonads and are the source of sperm or eggs. In Drosophila, the self-renewing divisions of germline stem cells in the ovary and the testes leads to the production of many eggs and sperm. So we choose Drosophila as a model, not only because it's awesome power of genetics, but also because it's simplicity of uh, the anatomy and the genome, which allowed us to accurately locate stem cells in an organ such as the ovary, thus overcoming the identity crisis that still hampering the study of many types of tissue stem cells today. So once we knew in Drosophila exactly where were the stem cells, we were able to immediately test two important stem cell hypotheses, namely the asymmetric division hypothesis and the niche hypothesis. So to test the asymmetric division hypothesis, we directly observed how these germline stem cells divide and we found that they indeed divide in an asymmetric fashion to produce a daughter stem cell and a differentiated daughter cell. Just like E.B. Wilson and his contemporaries hypothesized more than 100 years ago in 1890s. So our work became one of the first demonstration of the asymmetric division of uh, the adult type of stem cells. So with the stem cells clearly located, we can also test the niche theory 
by investigating what cells are there surrounding the stem cells and whether any of these surrounding cells have any function in regulating the behavior of stem cells. And this line of study then allowed us to identify specific somatic cells that can regulate human stem cell division, which was one of the first, if not the first, demonstration of stem cell niche theory and the identification of niche cells. Of course, with a stem cell system well-defined in Chisafra, we then can quickly uh, take advantage of its powerful genetics to ask ambitious questions, such as what genes are controlling stem cell asymmetric division and stem cell behavior, and how many genes are there in the entire genome to regulate stem cell division. And answer to these questions led us to discover a number of new genes, some of which represents actually the founding members of new gene families that are important for stem cell divisions. Terrific, and it just shows the power of that genetics to, to enable you to make so much progress so quickly, yeah. Um, so in your study of, of the Drosophila germline, you made the fortunate decision at some stage to clone and characterize a gene called P-element-induced wimpy testis, typical Drosophila whimsical gene name, Kiwi <laughs> uh, for short. And it turned out to be the prototype of a novel evolutionarily conserved class of small RNA binding proteins with a critical role in the regulation of germline stem cells. So uh, Following that initial screen, why did you focus on, on Peewee and what makes it so unique? Tell us about that first study. Sure. So Martin, as you've already alluded to, one of the genes that we discovered from our screens is Peewee. It became later on the founding member of the Argonaut gene family that is highly conserved during evolution. And as you also mentioned, uh, this family of proteins they bind to small non-coding RNAs. And according to the homology, uh, this gene family can be divided into two subfamilies. The argonaut subfamily includes the four argonaut proteins, which are very important in the RNAi and microRNA mechanisms. And interestingly, these proteins, as well as microRNAs and siRNAs are expressed in most cell types. Therefore, we know RNAi and microRNA are actually housekeeping mechanisms. In my lab, we instead focus on peewee subfamily because they're only expressed uh, mostly in the germline and in some primitive type of stem cells. As peewee, we choose uh, this gene to study in particular because it's mutant, has a beautiful stem cell phenotype. Namely, when you remove peewee from germline stem cells, they will just differentiate without self-renewal. So that's a clear indication for peewee's function in their stem cell renewal. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I did you publish that study in development? Yes, yeah, you know, I still so that, highly respect. Yeah, <laughs> so I, this is a great lesson for people. I always tell young people, that if you do a fantastic, innovative piece of work and you publish it in a high quality specialist journal, it'll still get cited. And that's a good example of it for sure. Indeed, um, yeah, that paper got cited many times. <laughs> absolutely, it did. Um, 
you're the first author on this recent paper that characterized peewee in the gut. You told us a little bit about how you came to the gut. Was this because you'd worked in that tissue before and, and just wanted to look at it? Or, or what, what was the reason behind that? Yeah, it's kind of an important question. So as I said before, it, it's always a big challenge to investigate somatic peewee function, both in Drosophila and the mammals, and the normal physiological conditions. Actually, when it came to high-fast lab, we initially planned to say if PV has any physiological function in somatic tissues during aging process. By digging literatures, we found that there is one paper from Henry Jasper's lab showing that PV is required to limit intestinal stem cell exhaustion, both under aging and stress conditions. But there's no study about how PUA acts in intestinal stem cells and the normal homeostatic condition. And whether PIONA are involved in this process also remains unknown. Since I had a lot of working, as I said, uh, experience in the Drosophila gut during my PhD, and it would be much easier for me to start with some preliminary investigation in the gut. Therefore, after the discussion with Haifan, we decided to explore PV's function in the Drosophila adult gut. So in our paper, we found that in addition to the Gemini, PV protein is also expressed in the Drosophila adult intestinal stem cells and its transient polygenital cell called internal blast cell or EVs and the normal hemostatic conditions. We further found that PV is needed for establishing intestinal stem cells and sustaining its main lineage in adult stage. Additionally, PV expression in ISC or EBs contributes to some retrotransposal silencing and adult longevity. By further doing MRI sequencing, we revert that PV can regulate diverse metabolic and oxidation reduction pathways in the intestine. So taken together, we show that PV plays an important function in the maintenance of adult Drosophila intestinal homeostasis. But surprisingly, we didn't identify bona fide PV interacting RNAs or PIRNAs in the gut. So the mechanism of how PV regulates ISC lineage and transportal silencing and if PV has an independent function in the gut, awaits further investigation. Terrific. Sounds like Haifen made a good call to let you follow up on your favorite tissue. Yeah, that's a, a good point. Yeah. So something, if, if I understood you correctly, the, the, the peewee has a role in the establishment of the intestinal stem cell population during development, not so much in the maintenance. So, so how do you think that works? What does it actually do during the establishment of this population during development? Do you know? Well, it's a great question. So as I have said before, uh, it is well known that PV is required for gymnast stem cell maintenance during development. But our paper suggests that PV expression at the adult stage does not seem to be required for intestinal stem cell maintenance but it's needed for establishing an intestinal stem cell population in pre-adult stage. Even these are two different stem cell uh, systems, systems, but when we think about the intestinal stem cells, 
I mean, in terms of the origin of Drosophila adult intestinal stem cells, it has been reported that the adult ISCs are derived from the adult midgut precursors lineage in larva stage, suggesting that the population of adult ISCs has already been determined or established before eclosion. In our supplementary figure, we showed that PV gene is also highly transcribed in the adult midgut precursor alates in third instant larva. So it is likely that PV is involved in regulating normal adult midgut precursor lineage during larva development, which in turn may contribute to the establishment of SC proliferation in adult stage. However, the detailed mechanism remains unexplored. We would like to first examine how PV regulates adult intestinal stem cell uh, activity in the homeostatic condition. So all in all, it's worth to mention that PV is also required for internal blast and cell maintenance, which is a transient IC polygenitor in the intestine. So it looks like PV also has some function in maintenance of cell fate. Therefore, our study indicates that there are two phases of PV function in the gut. First, it acts during pre-adult development to ensure the establishment of a normal number of ISAs. Secondly, it acts in the adult as the lineage to maintain internal blast cell and the survival of the ISA-derived epithelial cells like internocytes. That's how we find from this paper. Thank you, and thanks for reminding our listeners that Drosophila does go through a larval stage of development, important piece of biology there. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll continue our discussion. Stem Cell Reports is ISSCR's open access peer-reviewed society journal. For scientists, by scientists. The journal publishes research and commentaries that drive the field of stem cell science forward. Welcome back to the Stem Cell Report. We've been talking with Haifan Leng and Zhongzhao Tang about the role of peewee in germline and somatic cells. Um, so coming back to a point that we just touched on, Haifan, uh, in this work, you found that peewee silences transposable elements in the gut, which is perhaps not surprising, but one of the puzzles emerging from the study is that unlike in the germline, where this effect is mediated by peewee-associated RNAs, there's as yet no evidence for peewee RNAs in the gut. So what do you think some of the alternative mechanisms for this silencing might be? And, and do you think you're on the verge of, of a whole new area of biology here? Uh, Martin, this is a very uh, interesting question. And Xiongzhu and I, when we failed to detect any pioneers in the gut, we were indeed uh, quite perplexed by this finding. Nevertheless, you know, the data is very solid. So the lack of uh, detectable pioneers in the gut would suggest that PV in the gut may act in a pioneer independent mechanism to suppress transposons. A precedent of a pioneer independent mechanism for PV function is actually in human gastric cancer cells. In these cells, 
we found that a human peewee protein called the peewee-like one or peewee-L1 actually promotes stem cell cancer growth independent of pioneer. And in that case, we can mechanistically show that by mutating the pioneer binding sites in these peewee proteins, and such mutant peewee proteins, which are defective in binding pioneer, still has the same kind of uh, cancer promoting function. So it's indeed possible that, uh, you know, the Drosophila gut will use PV in the similar way in a pioneer independent fashion, namely to suppress transposons. Now, as you said, if this is the case, you know, this might be indeed an opportunity that will lead us to a completely new mechanism. So what could be this kind of mechanisms? In the human uh, gastric cancer system, we found that the PV actually interact with the nonsense mediated messenger RNA decay regulation to control gene expression there. So a similar mechanism could be functioning here to downregulate the transposon RNA, or yet another completely new mechanism uh, will show up. So we really look forward to the next step. That's that brings me to my next question. And you know, working Drosophilus has opened so many doors. It's played such a, a fundamental role in our understanding of the molecular basis of embryonic development. And, you know, pioneering work on flies has illuminated the pathway for so many developmental biologists working in other model systems. You only have to think of all the names of the gene families and where they come from, <laughs> so important and so conserved. And, you know, we're, we're always really pleased to publish great work on developmental mechanisms and model systems in stem cell reports. Uh, but for our listeners who might be a little more narrowly focused on mammalian or, or even human development, um, what would you regard as some of the exciting areas today in, in, in Drosophila embryology? Yeah, I would, uh, you know, concur that the study of Drosophila embryogenesis is continuing to be a pioneering model system that generates a lot of novel insights and new mechanisms in cell fate determination and gene regulation. And, uh, you know, they also are very good models to study cell cell interaction mechanisms. So more specifically, I think the current uh, exciting areas still were including what are these mechanisms in determining body access patterning, in uh, tissue formation, in organogenesis, and in tissue stem cell function. And these discoveries are continuing to generate guiding principles for a broad range of uh, research from developmental biology to molecule biology and genetics in the mammalian systems. So I've, I've no doubt that we'll continue to learn a lot from, from the fly. Absolutely. Um, so now, Dong Zhao, we, we've talked about your work on this paper and with Hai Fan, um, but not so long ago, you started your own laboratory at the Hunan Agricultural University. Can you tell us about a little bit about the institute there and what you'll be working on? Yes, um, definitely. Um, actually, I have started my own laboratory in the animal and nutrition genome and Jim Plus Innovation Research Center at uh, Huna Agriculture University, Nasta Junai. Actually, this center is a newly established research center since 2019, and led by Professor Yu Nong Ying, who is the member of Chinese Academic of Engineering. 
Our research center currently consists of 28 faculty members with research focusing on two main subjects. One is animal nutrition and another one is animal breeding and genetics. So basically the major research organisms utilized in our center are large domestic livestock like pigs, cows, and sheep. Of course, we also take advantage of small mold organisms like mice, rats, and Drosophila to help us to understand and answer key questions related to animal nutrition and reproduction. Regarding my future work, I will be still working with the function of intestinals themselves. But my research model is mainly focused on piglets now because it is known that the pathogenic bacteria like enterotoxigenic E. coli infection induced post-weaning diarrhea in piglets results in severe economic losses in swine husbandry. So the dysfunction of intestinal epithelia, a pan-bacterial infection, has been shown to be one of the reasons causing diarrhea. Whether the intestinal stem cell activity is directly involved in the progression of diarrhea in post-venic piglets remains unknown. So my future work is trying to establish the physiological and pathological connection between intestinal stem cells, regeneration, and diarrhea incidence, and also try to unlive the mechanisms and deny this connection. I hope my work could really uh, bring some benefits to the uh, farmer industry. That's terrific. And, you know, a lot of great science comes out of agricultural biotechnology. When I first went to Monash University in Australia, I worked with a, uh, a very well-known embryologist called Alan Tramsen, and his institute was half devoted to human reproduction, but the other half was really around animal reproduction, cloning, that sort of thing, and mm. uh, was was a great experience because, of course, Agriculture is so important to the Australian economy. Um, but now, as head of your own laboratory, not only are you responsible for research, but, but you're, you're going to be mentoring a lot of new trainees. And are there aspects of mentoring that, that you've taken away from your time with HIFAN and that you'll apply in your own lab? What are some of your philosophies about mentoring and traineeship? Yes, uh, I would say there are two strategies and uh, experience I learned from Have Fun that I can directly apply to my own life for mentoring students. So the first one is in academic side. When I was in Have Fun's lab, I remembered that in addition to our former weekly lab meeting, in which one lab member will present his own research projects in a comprehensive manner, I mean, from background results to future plan. Have I also had one one meeting with each lab members every Monday or Tuesday to discuss research progress so that all research projects can be traced well and any problems can be solved without any delay. By having these meetings, it can not only ensure our research projects move straightforward, but also improve our presentation and communication skills. So secondly, I would say that Haifan is also a passionate and energetic person who organized many on and off campus social activities like parties, climbing, playing laser tag games, lunch gathering to enjoy whatever 
nice weather, celebrate eleven members' birthday, share happiness together. All of these heartwarming activities connected us like a family and enhanced the spread of teamwork. It turned out these social activities and communications beyond the lab work also act as an effective way to establish the solid connection between mentors and trainings. So with that, I will definitely take these two aspects of mentoring I have learned from have fun to apply to my earlier career. Terrific. I think was when I was in the UK, I probably learned as much in the pub as I did hanging around in the lab. <laughs> yes. Learned some bad things this. probably too, but uh, never mind. Uh, so hi, Fan, uh, you know, away from the laboratory, we're, we're fortunate to have you at the helm of the ISSCR as president. You're a little over halfway through. And but maybe you could tell us about some of the key priorities you've been trying to address as as president of the society. Sure, Martin, uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, to tell you a bit about um, my priorities uh, for my uh, presidency uh, for ISCR. So my number one priority is actually membership engagement. In the past 20 years, the ISCR became the world's preeminent society for stem cell research. And this remarkable growth is really driven by our members' exciting research and discoveries. So serving our membership should be the top priority of the society. Uh, since I became the president seven months ago, we have implemented a series of creative ways to provide more opportunities for our members. And uh, for example, we have now established systems to let our members to nominate themselves for all these opportunities. This bottom-up approach of engagement creates equal opportunities for all members at all levels, uh, from the experience uh, level to you know uh, the value of their judgment to being a part of the ISCR. And just give you a few examples. Uh, the first example, actually, I should thank you for your effort. Uh, through your effort and that of Jacks, we have established the Early Career Scientist Editorial Board for stem cell reports uh, to foster the next generation editors and scholars in our field. Uh, for another example, uh, in the upcoming 2003 annual meeting, uh, we have established a new type of sessions called the Science Spotlight Sessions. Uh, there will be five such new one-hour sessions that will be proposed, organized, and run by our members, especially Chinese, beyond what is covered by the program committee. So these new sessions will allow the organizers to define their own topics and select their own speakers. And this uh, brand new measurement has already received enthusiastic responses with many proposals that we've received. So it will be truly a highlight of the upcoming annual meeting. And just to give you another example, to help young parents to attend our annual meetings, we have now established a Young Parent Travel Award to help them bring their baby to the meeting, uh, to arrange for their babysitting and to cover their babysitting expenses so that they can be actively participating in the meeting. 
and to help graduate students uh, participating in our society activities, such as annual meetings, we have now established a new and very low graduate student membership fees uh, to allow them to be more involved with the society. Uh, so uh, these uh, activities really have been generating a lot of impact and our membership has increased to a historic high. Especially, I feel this engagement is important because in this divided world, there's more need and more urgency for the ISCR to serve as a haven for stem cell researchers from all over the world to work together synergistically for the benefit of for all mankind, regardless of race, color, religion, gender, and national origin. Thank you, Afan. I, I think you've done some terrific things there. And, you know, the society benefited for many years from great leadership from senior figures in the field. Uh, uh, but this giving a new voice to, to younger, mid-career researchers and a bigger say in the society is, gonna, I think, going to be really beneficial. And I'm going to finish up by, by asking, you know, you along with David Skadden are kind of overseeing the program of the uh, 2023 annual meeting in Boston, looking forward to that in June. Uh, what are you most excited about? Can you give us a little hint about what's gonna be really cool about the program? Sure, yeah. I'm very excited about uh, holding this meeting in Boston uh, this year, because as you know, Boston is one of the largest biotech research cities in the world with a vibrant stem cell research community. And the meeting this year will be organized into five themes to help attendees to find and connect with researchers that share the common interests. Uh, so this will including 100 abstract selected speakers in the program in concurrent track sessions associated with the five themes. And all these talks and posters uh, will be representing cutting edge research across the entire spectrum of stem cell research. There's no substitute for gathering in person and connecting in a poster session, outside a plenary session, or during a tea break. So in this setting, the attendees can not only take the uh, advantage of in-person connection to learn about the latest advances in the field, but also connected even with biotech industry and we'll build new connections and potential collaborations. We look forward to seeing thousands of our colleagues in Boston in June. That's fantastic. And I'll just remind everyone that uh, the Jackson Bar Harbor is only an hour plane flight away from Boston. So if anyone wants to come up and visit, do let us know. So that's all we've got time for today. Uh, thank to our audience for joining and thank you to our guests so much for for sharing their stories with us today this has been the stem cell report and thanks again for listening the international society for stem cell research is a global scientific society that promotes excellence in stem cell science and applications to human health our vision is a world where stem cell science is encouraged ethics are prioritized and discovery improves understanding and advances human health to join us Visit www.isscr.org slash membership.